This is En Masse. I'm your host, Liz Medina. We are continuing to bring you some bonus episodes while working on Season 2. If this is your first time listening to En Masse, welcome. We're glad you're here. You can either keep on listening to enjoy this bonus episode, or scroll down to start from the beginning to hear all of Season 1. We have created this special two-part bonus episode to honor the story of John Henry, an African-American folk hero to whom dozens of folk songs have been dedicated. In part one, we will hear a live performance of John Henry by Eric George, a Vermont-based songwriter, sound engineer, and performer of original music and poetry. Eric also shares his relationship to the song and the repertoire of folk music more generally. We also discuss the role of music and culture in shaping personal narrative, social consciousness, and social movements. Last, we hear Eric perform an original song off his album, Songs of Resistance. In part two, friend of the pod and local journalist Dylan Kelly and I dive deep into the hard history embodied in the story of John Henry. We also discuss the revolutionary history and spirit so clearly embodied in the version we feature as our theme song in season one. We thought the story of John Henry and Eric George's performance were so important and incredible that we are making them available to all of our listeners. However, we will continue producing exclusive content for our Patreon members to show our thanks for being a member of our en masse community. If you haven't become a member yet, please consider doing so. Go to patreon.com slash en masse. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash e-n-m-a-s-s-e. Thanks so much for your support. Now, enjoy part one of the story of John Henry. Um, yeah, I, I'm Eric George, and I live in Burlington, Vermont. I've been up here for, oh, 12 years, and I play music. I record music and um, study uh, traditional American folk music, and y'all reach out to me because you know that I like songs like John Henry and folk tunes, and I, I love labor songs and union music and um, all that kind of stuff, so... I'm glad to share whatever I know. Might it might be a little, it might be some. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So um, on that note, uh, what do you uh, what do you say, Liz? Should we uh, should we hear this song? Do you have any any further uh, any further questions before we uh, we can launch right into this? Uh, no, I'm just really excited to hear the song. Um, I'll just say really briefly why this song is so exciting still to me is that it's. Um, has such a rich history and has some really deep criticisms of the system of capitalism and uh, man versus machine that technology is used to further exploit workers and take away their jobs and also the racial um, dimensions to capitalism in the United States and the fact that black workers are um, often the most heavily exploited and yeah, I, I I actually just want to hear Eric play it now at this point and talk about it too. Sure, yeah, I'd be I'd be glad to play it. I uh, I'm gonna play it on the uh, on a twelve string guitar, um, uh-huh. which is uh, the great uh, blues singer Leadbelly played a twelve string guitar and he did a great version of this. I mean, there's this is one of these songs. I mean, there's countless versions of, um, and uh, but Leadbelly is usually my favorite version of a lot of those songs. John Henry. People had whales turned to John Henry's bed They couldn't hardly stay in bed Yeah, they couldn't hardly stay in bed Monday Sitting on his papa's knee Well, he picked up a hammer 
little piece of steel said this hammer's gonna be the death of me this hammer's gonna be the death of me oh the captain he said to john henry gonna bring that steam drill around gonna bring Something like that. Amazing. I haven't sung yet all day. That was uh, that. <laughs> that was that was so, uh, a version of John Henry. Probably not my finest, but that's all right. Perfection. Nah. <laughs> it was. I. I was. I, I don't. Can't. I find it hard to believe that isn't like the finest version. It's sounded amazing. Your voice is oh, so emotive and, and wonderful. I was actually listening to one of your albums right before this interview, um, "Songs of Resistance," and. Um, so it sounds like this kind of music is very deeply embedded in your practice. And I, it really came through in that performance. So thank you. Oh yeah. I'm so glad. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts, you know, hearing, you know, I threw in the verse that y'all sent me because this all started because you found that, um, Grover Wells version that at, from an Alan Lomax field recording, um, from parchment farm which is the prison in louisiana mm -hmm. and uh you you there's a particular verse that you like the second verse that i sung there um where it was a not so veiled threat 
to the boss, which I also love that verse. I'd never heard that before. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm just curious. What what do you what do you think about what did you think about that version and how the one that I just sang in terms of did did any of those verses sort of fit into your a kind of new lens for this for the song? Yeah, sure. I, I think it. Um, oh, go ahead, Liz. Oh no, uh, you can go ahead, Dylan. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think it was one of those things where the more you you listen to the song and you hear the story of it, it's the story of a person who's obviously working their tail off, but like there's, you know, as you said, there's this threat of like, okay, like a man is just a man. Like you can only push the worker so far before, mm. you know, something happens. And I just, um, I think what I'm curious about, like for you as a performer, what was it like to come across a verse like that and sing it? Like, just, you know, that's, it's something a little different, obviously, but uh, I'm just curious about what your, what your feelings were as you're uh, performing that. Well, I mean, there's there's so I mean, for all of these songs, whether it's, you know, John Henry or the Bull Weevil or, um, you know, Union songs, all these kind of things, you know, people just make up so many verses. And and, you know, there's a bunch of verses that I can that are popping into my head now that I'm like, oh, I forgot to sing that verse. Um, and the the version recorded by Lomax on, on Parchment Farm, the, it, you know, that was sung in the much more um i don't know I, I guess a much obviously a bluesier way i mean it's sung in a in a prison uh by black prisoners and so um it it has so that the the two kind of versions that i'm coming from is, is sort of the the lead belly version which is similar in melody to um the parchment farm version john john henry told his captain uh, here, wait, let's see. Let me say, uh, and then the other one is the is uh, is sort of a more like folk folk country version. So the one that I like most is by a singer, Ramblin' Jack Elliot. Um, and now now that I'm singing the back and forth, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting all the melodies confused. I think I think when I sang that song, I kind of threw in a little bit of both for some flavor, which is that's why I'm confused. <laughs> um, John, John. Captain, boss man, do you ever pray? Well, if I miss the steel and the hammer gets away, tomorrow be your burying day, Lord, Lord. Tomorrow be your burying day. And so when I sing it, I tend to leave out the Lord, Lord. Um, it just, be, because these songs... Particularly this one, um, you know, it is a, uh, a work song, a field holler, um, and what better example of that than that Lomax field recording is, you know, that Lord Lord is, you know, and those field hollers are often thrown in in between verses, and I've always sort of felt um, like it's a, a little bit appropriative for me to be singing Lord Lord in that way, and so I tend to not sing that Lord Lord. Tomorrow be, you know, but I mean, it's, I throw the melody in there. Um, but co yeah, coming across this verse, you know, it, it fits perfectly into, you know, it's not like there's, you know, a weird amount of syllables in it or anything. It just really fits right into um, so many of the other versions that I know of. And, you know, I sent y'all a, that, um, did you check out that Mudcat forum, uh, piece about the song yes i did um i checked out mudcat but i didn't look deep into any of the forum i've, I've done uh, actually a whole um reading of a book on John, the legend of john henry and the oh cool whole uh, history of the song according to this one historian um his name is scott reynolds nelson and yeah i i guess like what what really appealed to, to us initially about this particular version of the song, and you've identified some really key elements of the song, that it's a work song, uh, and it served a particular purpose, which was to pace the work so that the workers, ideally, uh, could 
make the job a little easier on themselves and keep like a slower rhythm because the work was so hard. And I think that's mm -hmm. an overlooked part of it. And also being a work song, this being a work song recorded in a, a former plantation turned prison, which you know, might as well just mm. be a plantation still, mm. you know, see, threat making a direct, like not veiled threat like that in a song in that context, when you are, have been so disempowered is so um, brave and courageous that it shows like how strong resistance uh, is, is felt and lived by the singers and body um, and just mm. how strong they are. Um, and I think, you know, with John Henry, when it's, as it's transpired through various singer songwriters throughout history, um, we don't know who's saying the first version exactly. There's, you know, um, some ideas around that, but there's no definitive way it's orally passed down. And, you know, it, it went from being probably more like this work song that kind of reflected the actual nature of the work of mostly probably people of color, also maybe some uh, Irish or, or poor white track um, liners. But it became over time this heroic country song that celebrated uh, sacrificing oneself for work, which is, I think, quite opposed in a lot of ways to this particular version and maybe more uh, older versions of this song that were really more of, about singing a tragedy or maybe um, a hint of revenge or rebellion or um, also serving as a functional purpose to slow down and survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was th thinking along the same things. And it's interesting that the, the version that was recorded at Parchman is so freighted with that with that history and in some way uh, it, it almost feels like it's preserving a glimmer of that frequency of that resistance against power and subjugation if it's industrial subjugation or racial subjugation and it, it seems like it's really like really driving the point home no, no pun intended um that uh you know this is this is not just like this is not just labor this is a, a human struggle and i think it's fascinating to see how like to see how someone with as much talent as eric is able to to inhabit that that struggle and i think that's that's what i find like so fascinating about this this particular little moment this little corner of this song um still resonates you can you can sense the narrator's like frustration as they you know look over their shoulder at the boss man and say you know what like <laughs> things happen Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it makes me think about, you know, the this this verse is pretty overt, uh, is overtly re rebellious, you know, um, you know, boss man, do you ever pray? Well, if I miss that steel and this hammer, get away tomorrow, be your burying day. Um, and I think I, I think it's interesting as for, you know, me as a, you know, 21st century 30 year old white folk singer um that so much so much of this um particularly music that came really right out of um out of field haulers and stuff it's so imbued with these really um cloaked uh threats and and dual meanings um and it makes me think about how often I, I'm sure that I miss that in a seemingly innocuous verse of of any you know of any of these songs like you know John Henry or um, whatever you know whatever old blues song that we're talking about or uh, which you know turned into sort of more country folk songs a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's interesting. This one, this one really pops out. But I, I wonder about all the, the other sort of nuances that I'm sure that I miss all the time, because you know that was obviously a big part of you know uh, field haulers and um, music in, on you know on chain gangs and in prisons is you you couldn't really sing a verse like this if there was a guard walking by. So they, you know, had these really, really incredibly clever 
um, lyrics to mask what they were actually saying and mask those that frustration um, and turn it into something that, you know, they had code words and that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and I think it's kind I, of yeah, interesting. I, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, you got, no, 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 you don't. Yeah, uh, after you. I think it's interesting that um, when there's a, if you kind of step back a second and look at the context of this this recording itself by uh, by Grover Wells that we use, um, or the recording by Alan Lomax, this was the version that, you get, you get the sense that this was the version that the workers would sing to and for one another. And the, mm. the fact that they're sharing this on the day that someone, they sung that verse on the day that someone showed up with a recording device. <laughs> it's like a little hint of like, hey, like <laughs> life in the fields isn't as, as great as you this song would lead you to think because this is the version mm. I'm going to share with the rest of the world, uh, regardless mm. of whether the guard is walking around or not. I'm going to I'm going to sing this verse, this verse out loud today. And I, I find that little mm. that moment in history really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, Eric, you picked up on the other versions of John Henry that out there that have what you described as a kind of Uncle Tom narrative or message around them. Mm-hmm. And you know, does that feel different? Like, how? What can you say more about that? And how do what, what do you think about that in relation to this version and other versions? Like, where? Like, how does the song become more revolutionary, I guess? I, I mean, it's in, when we, even just stepping back and thinking about, you know, the, the I'm saying this in air quotes, like the sort of version um, that I, I just played, you know, that was like five versions that I know of just sort of blended into like the soup of John Henry that like, Hmm. I just sort of, you know, I, I tend to, I mean, a lot of the time with, with this song, um, I play kind of the verses that pop into my head and that, um, you know, suit my voice for that day. You know, there's so many ways to sing it. Um, I think I just wanted to, to sort of say that I, when I think about this song, I definitely don't think about myself having, a version of it. Um, I think that what just when I play it, I think I just tend to um, sing the ver- yeah, sing the verses that that just happen to be you know at, on the tip of my tongue that day. Um, but it's something that I'm going to be thinking about more. And I think that you know, as to what you were saying before, the um, you know a, a critique of this song you know, later than, you know, when this song was created, um, you know, if this song was, I mean, Liz or Dylan, I mean, when you you read that book on it, when when was this, late 1800s, 1890s? It's hard to say because it's a oral tradition. Um, so mm-hmm. I, this probably in the late 1800s, um, if there was an actual John Henry, which uh, Scott Nelson thinks there may have been, he would have been mm-hmm. working on the CNO um, in 1870. Okay. So, yeah, I, I, as this song was passed down and later on in the in the late 50s in that kind of era when people were starting to pay attention to American folk music and blues music and prison songs and people like Alan Lomax. Um, and sort of scholars or uh, ethnomusicologists, if you want to call them that, at the time sort of had their eyebrow raised about the song because it it felt uh sort of clearly like a um just like another story of a black worker being exploited to death by a white boss Mm -hmm. um i mean which is what is happening in the story um and it's interesting the way that when you as you change your lens the story takes on a different uh it takes on different meanings you know it i've always thought about this song primarily as or or i should say the way the song was presented to me has always been about you know human versus technology and fighting against technology at whatever cost and proving that humans, you know, the um, 
like our our labor is um you know no song will ever be sung about a machine that does that same job but we can sort of revel in this person who beats the machine um and then you change lens and then you look at it from the perspective of you know a, a more class race perspective and it's a complete a completely different song um and i think that it's tough i mean there's there's so there's so many it hasn't stopped me from singing the song because that's that's always a question for me is you know when does a song feel irrelevant or when does a song when should i stop singing a song um or when should we stop celebrating songs that have just been taken for granted as classic american folk songs but are you know like murder ballads for instance are um you know they're mm -hmm. important to the history of folk music but uh i'm not i'm not going to sing a murder ballad on the street we just don't need more songs about you know women being murdered we just don't mm -hmm. need people don't need to hear that in the world and so um i'm i'm at I'm still at a point where I, I still feel good singing this song and, um, and ho you know, hopefully incorporating a verse like this into the song will, you know, alleviate some of the, some of the tension around and, and give, you know, historical insight into, you know, that kind of relationship between the worker and the boss. Exactly. Does that make sense? It, 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 it makes a lot of sense. I, I thought you laid that out brilliantly. Um, and thank you for delving into some of the controversial uh, meanings that has taken on over time. And just like the general challenge of you know, working with the history and repertoire of folk songs and, and how, you know, we talk about issues over time changes and, it's it's important to look to the past to understand the patterns and ways in which we have overcome things before and what we still have to work on. But it's also, uh, you know, one has to be careful because the way in which we talked about or think about issues in the past is um, sometimes harmful or, or there's like certain... Uh, and traditions that you know like you said maybe don't need to be continually celebrated though i have to say mm. i i do enjoy nick cave's murder ballads and and so i'm wondering <laughs> how you feel i'm wondering how you feel about that I, now, now i'm going to think about them on a whole different level so thank you eric um that's that's some well, meat for me to chew I, on <laughs> well to and to be clear uh, to be clear i i feel like i love honestly i love singing murder ballads i'm just not going to sing them on church street right you know i'm not going to sing. i'm not yeah, going right. to sing them at a gig it's it's you know these the, i the the melodies are beautiful and the stories are sad and like kind of important um in terms of i mean i always think about where where we're coming from um you know and even you know even with john henry it's you know this was not that long ago this was you know a hundred years ago and you know up until i mean you could there's plenty of good arguments that you know the prison labor is not actually a ton different now than it was then and um and it's still being used in similar ways and so it's all of these things are are reminders of of where we're coming from i think just staying mindful of where and when we're singing it is really important. And if you are going to sing it, let's say I'm playing at a gig where people are really listening and all of a sudden I get, a, I have an urge to play some old murder ballad on the fiddle or something like that. Um, that's fine as long as you talk about where the song comes from, why I'm singing it and, and you know, not ignoring the history of the song, which is, that to me is, is that feels problematic. I think that you can really get away with singing any song if you um, can share why it's important to be singing that song now and whether whether that is to talk about this is where we're coming from or to say this is the narrative that people have 
had in the past and this is where we're at now and let me show you what both of these feel like um and so yeah i mean i i think that any you know nick cave's murder ballads like i i love it you know for sure and i think that um there's there's definitely a place for all that i think it's just being being aware and not perpetuating violence you know <laughs> i think that a lot of a lot of those songs are can be like really terrifying and triggering for people and so you know being mindful of of all the ways that these songs um are real they're real stories i mean a lot of these songs are real stories and um sadly they are not dissimilar to things that happen still so i think that's a thing to be mindful of i completely yeah. agree and i think the context is everything and um talking about the context of songs and stories is really important. There's a tendency actually in the world of podcasting to just do lots of storytelling there, you know, story core is a great example of this. So let's, let's just collect all these interesting stories. And oftentimes they're just completely separated from any kind of context. So it's kind of even hard to understand like, well, what, what is, what is the, what are we to learn from this story? Like, how does this, mm contribute to um you know a, a better understanding of each other in the world and maybe it doesn't have to always be so didactic and you know super contextualized but some context is certainly helpful and dylan and i will be talking more about um the context of the john henry song uh, that will be merged with this episode so don't worry there'll be plenty of that and as a you know uh, an anti-racist uh, anti-capitalist uh, radical um, uh, we hope to do it justice mm -hmm. yeah we're gonna we're gonna contextualize the shit out of this thing um, <laughs> yeah you are <laughs> and I think it's I'm like the the the, the note of uh, context it's one of those things where in the context of this song and Eric you're you're getting at this um, and Liz, there's there's a dynamicism to these narratives that as as the world changes and as the country changes and as we change, we find ourselves kind of returning to certain themes and just kind mm -hmm. of swapping out certain certain pieces or certain verses so that we can continue to understand the the bigger picture. Um, if the song was rewritten or reversed. Um, not reversed, but you get the idea. Um, in some way to uh, to make it more relevant, I think of people whose jobs are at the risk of automation right now, or people who, because of their their ethnic background, are completely locked out of certain fields of labor. This song has relevance for so many of those different groups of people that have been marginalized, mm -hmm. and the recontextualization of narratives like this is not just how we look back, but also how we look ahead and how we reconcile our own struggles as we exist now. And when it is in the form of a song, that's especially like kind of handed down through oral tradition. It's our way of listening to one another on on mass, really, as it were. Like that's how we are able to contextualize our own struggles that we're dealing with in real time. And especially if everyone's singing along, we can do it collectively. And that's, that's just mm -hmm. kind of something that jumped into my head as I was listening to your performance and listening to how you how do you think about the history of these stories in the context of this music? I just find all of that really fascinating. And I'm just interested, like, you've been doing this for a, a long time and you've encountered a lot of songs in your career. I was just wondering if there are any that just kind of jump into your head, um, any particular titles that you can think of that have also kind of borne continuing relevance in terms of how people consider their lives as, as workers or as um as fathers and husbands and mothers and daughters and like how was how has all that changed or evolved based on your perspective on music and these stories that we're telling ourselves well you know i mean the, i mean the, 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 there's a that's a multi-part question so there uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack yeah i mean there are so many songs that um are that come to mind um when when we're talking about this kind of stuff i mean obviously woody guthrie and pete seeger and the almanac singers and the carter family even um like all those songs immediately come to mind um and i think that the the i i always you know forget that 
all of the songs that we ended up being handed by those people we're bar we're all borrowed from other songs and other melodies and that you know so many of those are probably rewrite version number 15 by the time that they were recorded in 1940 and songs are constantly being you know updated to be relevant and i think you know for myself i i don't i i'm interested in songwriting myself just in you know trying to craft something from the ether and and i think that i could definitely spend more time uh you know rewriting lyrics to you know john henry to to make it relevant um and i think that's something that probably ought to happen because there's such there's so many wells to draw from and and that well is so deep um and i think it that there's so much saturation of so of so much music out there right now that it it almost feels overwhelming to to throw another sort of raindrop in that ocean but i think that when you scale not even scale back but you know I, that at a certain point i just became really interested in you know just creating songs for uh specific moments in time like you know during whether it was like a pipeline protest or like migrant justice stuff like whatever it is like being able to perform songs that feel relevant to what's happening immediately around me that is the way that these songs you know remain relevant and there were other parts of your question. I feel a little. I feel a little bit like rambly right now. Um, <laughs> but I. I hope. I hope I'm making You're doing sense. Great. Okay. Yeah. It's. I don't. I, I think I'm. I'm. I'm answering the questions that you didn't even ask. That my brain somewhere in my brain something went off, and I thought, oh, I'm going to answer that question, but you didn't ask. <laughs> well, we want you to take things where you want to go with them too. We're interested in your relationship to this material most of all, so don't worry yeah, about directly yeah, answering yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean We're I think that those are all good no. they're all good questions. <laughs> they're all really good questions. So I'd like to answer them. Um But yeah, I think that I, I, I love singing these old songs and you know, sometimes I'll I'll sing a tune and it just feels, oh my god, why is the song still so relevant? Um, and that's disheartening. <laughs> and I, you, know, you know, I mean, it really is. Sometimes I'm just like, oh God, things have not changed at all. Um, but that's yeah, that's why these songs are are beautiful. Um, also, is that you know, they they really move through time, and they always will, and they always have. There's always, you know, there's always class struggle, and there's that's why a lot of these songs still hit hard mm-hmm. you know yeah 100% yeah, agree yeah. with you amen yeah. alrighty um what yeah, do you, you think yeah I think we're doing pretty well Liz uh, I know you have a, a couple of uh, kind of preloaded questions that were oh. sketched out um, and we've covered a whole bunch of them I'm wondering yeah. if there's anything else um, that uh, we want to want to quiz Eric on um <laughs> That, uh, that's on your mind. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, so, so yeah, I, I love, first of all, what you said about adapting songs to the moment and your work with Rising Tide and, and, and how you work with musically with social movements. And I actually want to hear more about that. Like, do you, it sounds like there's your music has a relationship to um, on the ground struggles. Uh, you know, I, I I have not been half as half as active as I'd like to. Um, I just it's you you can be on a wagon and then you fall off the wagon and you get back on the wagon. And so I I um, would love to offer the things that I can in terms of music. And I think it's taken me a long time to to 
to sort of figure out what my skill sets are that I can offer. And, you know, I, I love, you know, being a person who can help like do sound and, you know, write songs and print little lyrics for things. And sort of that's sort of what I like to contribute right now. Um, but I think that, you know, this, this kind of music, you know, Pete Seeger talks about it and he, he says, he says it so well, I can't remember the exact quote, but essentially the, the experience of having people sing together is, it's not going to solve the problems but it is going to keep the feeling of resistance alive. And I think that there was a long time where I, I was sort of convinced somehow that just playing music is an act of resistance. And it's, I just don't, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't feel like in the 21st century being a, a guy with a guitar, is some kind of act of resistance. And I think that using the the skills that I have that I've that have garnered from playing music for so many years, that is that those tools and those skills can be used to help people who are actually really, you know, facilitating forms of resistance that have, you know, concrete and and clear goals. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think you yeah. said it really well, actually. Um, and I think as a visual artist, I really resonate with what you said. I, and I, I do think to a certain extent, taking time to uh, per, actually participate in create culture and, and participate in it is in a way an act of rebellion insofar as you're not ne you're not necessarily doing something directly productive for somebody else you're not necessarily you know creating surplus value in the you know mm -hmm. traditional marxist terms for an employer unless of course you that's your profession uh, and you know depending on the social relation in, but anyway we can go in further into that but yeah, I think I think it's their culture is really important to movements, and I think it doesn't have to be um, a direct connection. Even I think having people embody these songs of resistance is nourishing and helps us stay in the movement and doing the work, even when it gets really hard, because it mm -hmm. is really hard. You, people have to sacrifice massively to actually move things in this country, whether it's going mm. on strike and not knowing if you're going to get food that day because there's not an, you, you know, you're, you're not being paid anymore. And maybe there's not a really big generous strike fund because your community has been impoverished for a long time or, you know, putting your life on the line, if, especially as a person of color by marching in the streets, knowing that you could be killed, uh, murdered by the police. Um, if not other white supremacists, um, which are frighteningly on the rise right now. So I think, you know, yes, there's people doing concrete work on the ground with concrete goals, as you said, um, to like, like the Black Lives Matter movement, like the teacher strike wave, like um, a lot of amazing organizations doing important work on the ground in communities right now. But um, as someone who actually does some of that work um, as a, a labor activist um, within my own shop at Goddard College and also in the broader Central Vermont community, I need these songs. I need to hear mm -hmm. this. And I, I just thank you, Eric, for being one of the um, musicians here to contribute to this culture. I was listening to your album, Songs of Resistance, and I, I was just so impressed and um tickled with your one song in particular trouble out of my field i was like oh yeah he oh, yeah. gets he gets how class society works and you break it down in a way that's so easy and tangible for everybody and and the emotive you know singing that you bring to the song is just so rich too oh thanks i i, I like that song do you know nate and jane palmer out in uh, moncton oh i know that. that's 
Yeah, that's I wrote that song for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for the for the when the gas pipeline was going on their going on their land. They, you know, yeah. I was just like that that was their whole thing. Just get get this out of here. Get out of my field. <laughs> yeah, right? And I think that's that actually kind of leads into something I was thinking about listening to to how you talk about this music. Um the idea of of authorship because these um well some folk songs are written on tin pan alley but uh, a lot of them weren't and john henry certainly wasn't and these are songs that are written by people who have the who have the living lived experience of the the subject matter of the song itself the song was written by workers themselves or by a worker um and the verses that were inserted and swapped out those are also you know clearly written by people who are living a life of being laborers of being hard laborers and i i think your um your your entry into that canon of creating songs about people with whom you share struggle is like to me mm-hmm. just the fact that like it's kind of like a refusal to surrender your own narrative is kind of what what jumps out mm-hmm. at me is like the ability to define your own narrative is the ability to define your movement and to define your goals and to define what you value in society. And I just, that kind of the ability to control one's own narrative and one's own story is just, is so important in so many movements. Mm. And I think songwriting is a, is a central part of that. Um, especially when you have miles to go before you sleep as it were. That's a fascinating point. I, uh, that's so interesting. I, I really, really like that. I'm going to think about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, really uh, for season thought. two, we might just have to come back and get you to to sing a song from the Diggers, have a 1649 version of all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, right. Is there well, anything else you want to hear on this guitar or anything like that? Are you... Uh... Um, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I know we're coming up on about an hour here, so I, I would defer to Liz on that one. I have I have no oppositions, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I have no opposition. Uh, I say, you know, let's, you do what you want to do with these last few minutes, and let's, um, you know, there's anything in particular you really want to say, or uh, Dylan, do you have any questions? I, I'm, I'm, I feel like we had a great conversation so far. Yeah, I'm, I'm down I've, to just hear whatever. Yeah, me too. Yeah, if there's another piece of music that's uh, that's tugging away at your uh, frontal cortex, uh, uh, my ears are certainly prepared. <laughs> um, yours are, Liz. <laughs> yes, mine are absolutely. Well, I Liz, you mentioned the the um, the uh, and this will be by like a this will be like my weird plug or something. Yes, you mentioned the uh, the the two hands album, the songs of resistance one. And just before we go, I'll play one one from that one. This is uh, one that a lot of my pals like to hear. It's requested from my friends often, so I'll play this one for you. The Gentrification Rag. <laughs> Don't know your neighbor This old brew's got a mighty good flavor Hey bartender, won't you fill my cup? They're gonna kick out the riffraff and build it up Long gone, the songs and the jokes This old town's outgrown its folks They never can tell when enough is enough They're gonna kick out the riffraff and build it up are cleaner but the people are meaner trying to make the fake grass look greener the landlord smiles and winks at the cop they're gonna kick out the riffraff and build it up long gone the songs and the jokes this old town's outgrown its folks they never can tell when enough is enough they're gonna kick out the riffraff and build it up
Well, the hotels are bigger, but the homeless shiver. The cop's finger lives on the trigger. They figured out a way to make it to the top. They're gonna kick out the riffraff and build it up. Long gone, the songs and the jokes. This old town's outgrown its folks. They never can tell when enough is enough. They're gonna. And it's long gone, the songs and the jokes. This old town's outgrown its folks. They never can tell when enough is enough. They're gonna kick out the riffraff and build it up. Hooray. Closest to I just thought you'd like that one. I love it. It, It's the best performance I've been able to have since COVID, (laughs) really. Oh, Oh, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to plug for for your work and what you're excited about before we end the session? Um, you know, I, I have, I'm all, I always have albums coming out. Just, you know, listen to my stuff on Spotify. That's like, it honestly goes a really long way because it just, you know, gets stuff on playlists and that's, you know, unfortunately Spotify is just the way that everybody listens to music now. And so, um, yeah, just look me up on Spotify, Eric George and, uh, you know, Instagram and that kind of stuff. I'm always posting new music. I'm making, I'm working on a new record right now or two new records right now that I'm excited about. Um, so yeah, that's, that's about it. Thank you both so much for having me. And, um, thank you for your brilliant minds and your hard work and, and putting the energy into this really important stuff. And I just, from coming from the side of the, you know, the, the music making, carrying that aspect on, it's like, none of that would be relevant if it weren't for folks like y'all who are, who are putting in the time doing the work. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you. It's been really a, a real pleasure to to spend some time in conversation with someone who has uh, drunk so deeply from the well of uh, musical history. So yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed myself, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to sharing this with more folks out there. Me too. Oh, thanks. I thought I thought for a sec you were just gonna say with somebody who's so drunk, and I was like, <laughs> how does? I thought I was being. I thought I was being. Uh, secretive about it, but apparently I just sound wasted. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we'll have to get drunk in real life together at some point. Right. There we go. Yeah, totally. That sounds perfect. Uh, perfect way sing, to end sing, a Sing some old episode. folk songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll talk to you both soon. All right. All right. Take we'll care. Share. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.